This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. suggested in his email that I might briefly introduce our readings, although I know from history that his definition of brief and mine differ a little bit. <laughs> we'll plow through this quickly. Uh, as usual, one of our readings is modern, one is ancient, as all scripture is. Both readings are strong, radical statements, and they are distinctly contrasting. One may sound familiar to our modern progressive ears, the other may sound jarring and offensive, so heads up. I'm going to read the first sentence of each selection, and then I'll reread them in the normal way. And one might ask, which of these readings speaks to the Christ within me? Words of Integration and Guidance by Dr. Candace Flippen. hope I'm saying that right. I advise women to speak up for themselves and never choose to silence themselves. And then 1 Timothy from uh, chapter 2 says, let women, let a woman learn in silence with full submission. <laughs> Candace Flippen says, I advise women to speak up for themselves and never choose to silence themselves. Research shows us that generally women have a harder time speaking up for themselves than men. Women with families especially are more likely to be risk averse and to employ intentional invisibility as a strategy for navigating workplace barriers. It's a combination of a few things, but I think it can be accurately summed up like this. As a society, women who are compliant are viewed more positively than women who aren't compliant. Women are taught at a young age through either words or example that by speaking up for themselves, they are being difficult. Therefore, we learn not to speak up unless we are certain we are right and or safe. You know who's not doing all that second guessing? Your male counterparts. Which means that no matter how much you're doing and how much hard work you're putting in, if you're not advocating yourself and your future, you are lowering your ability to achieve all that you can. And now reading from Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she'll be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with <laughs> modesty. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. <laughs> wow. Well done. Thank you, David. I gave you a tough one today. No kidding. That's, uh, thanks, thanks a lot is what that one is, right? <laughs> that was hard to hear, and uh, apologies uh, for that, but uh, sometimes good to be reminded uh, of texts within our own tradition that speak in a way that 
we wrestle with and sometimes just flat out disagree with. The Holy Gospel this morning from Luke 18, Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused. But later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, or for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, as we know, Jesus often makes his point by telling stories. And stories are powerful ways to communicate. Uh, there's often a character we identify with, a narrative arc. There's some sort of uh, conflict or dilemma, and hopefully a resolution. And many of us have fond memories of being told stories when we were young by our parents or grandparents or those who watched over us, and those of us who are parents have fond memories of telling stories to our own kids. And often those stories uh, were inspired by fairy tales or were fairy tales themselves. And many of those were originally told by the brothers Grimm, who were born about 200 years before I was in the Germany in the late 1700s. And so I came across one of their stories I hadn't heard before. I thought maybe you hadn't either and thought you'd like to hear it. This one is called The Hare's Bride, The Hare's Bride, or The Girl Who Married a Rabbit. <laughs> there was once a woman and her daughter who lived in a pretty garden with cabbages, and a little hare came into it. And during the winter time, it ate all the cabbages. Then says the mother to the daughter, go into the garden and chase the hare away. The girl says to the little hare, shh, shh, hare, you will be eating all our cabbages. Says the hare, come maiden and seat yourself on my little hare's tail and come with me in my little hare's hut. <laughs> the girl will not do it. Next day, the hare comes again and eats the cabbages. Then says the mother to the daughter, go into the garden and drive the hare away. The girl says to the hare, shh, little hare, you will be eating all the cabbages. The little hare says, maiden, seat yourself on my little hare's tail and come into my little hare's hut. The maiden refuses. The third day, the hare comes again and eats the cabbages on this Day, the mother says to the, to the daughter, go into the garden and hunt the hare away. Says the maiden, shh, shh, little hare, you will be eating all the cabbages. Well, again, says the little hare, come maiden, seat yourself on my little hare's tail and come with me into my little hare's hut. The girl seats herself on the little hare's tail and the hare takes her far away to his little hut and says, now, cook 
Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Now cook green cabbage and millet seed, and I will invite the wedding guests. Then all the wedding guests were assembled. Who were the wedding guests? Well, that I can tell you was another told it to me. They were all hares. And the crow was there as parson to marry the bride and bridegroom, and the fox as clerk, and the altar was under the rainbow. What a lovely setting. The girl, however, was sad, for she was all alone. The little hare comes and says, open the doors, open the doors, the wedding guests are merry. The bride says nothing, but weeps. The little hare goes away, and the little hare comes back and says, take off the lid, take off the lid, the wedding guests are hungry. The bride again says nothing, but weeps. The little hare goes away, the little hare comes back, and says, take off the lid, take off the lid, the wedding guests are waiting. Then the bride says nothing, and the hare goes away, but she dresses a straw doll in her clothes and gives her a spoon to stir with and sets her by the pan with the millet seed and goes back to her mother. The little hare comes once more and says, take off the lid, take off the lid, and gets up and strikes the doll on the head, and his cap falls off, and then the little hare sees that it is not his bride and goes away and is sorrowful. Okay. So the lesson there is don't marry a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm originally intended for their collection of stories to be scholarly, a patriotic attempt to study and reclaim German folk culture. They recorded the folk tales they heard with originally minimal edits, and their first edition, though, was greeted with a lukewarm reception. So they decided it needs some revisions. Well, between 1812 and 1864, they published 17 editions of these fairy tales. And as they kept revising, they more and more wanted the stories to reflect their 19th century German bourgeois family values. Well, what that meant was that wicked parents became simply wicked mothers or stepmothers. And fathers were written into a more and more virtuous or positive light. And virtuous women ever so slowly lost their voices. And interestingly, if you take and look at the story of Cinderella, a fairy tale scholar points out by the way, they didn't tell me growing up that being a fairy tale scholar was an option. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a career. So pastors are that. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm living into that right now. Well, so this fairy tale scholar, Ruth Bodekheimer, found that in the 1812 version of Cinderella, she speaks out loud 14 times. And by the last edition in 1864, she's down to only six lines, and at that point, she's no longer speaking to other humans. She's speaking to, like, trees and birds and pumpkins and things. And so by the time the Grimm's finished their final revision, almost all of Cinderella's speech was gone. Her voice had been silenced. And if you were paying attention, in our story, The Hare's Bride, it said three times, what did it say three times, right, after she's married? She was sad. It said, the bride says nothing but weeps. Her voice, too, had been silenced. 
Writer Rebecca Solnit says this, silence is what allows people to suffer without recourse. What allows hypocrisies and lies to grow and flourish, crimes to go unpunished. If our voices are essential aspects of our humanity, to be rendered voiceless is to be dehumanized or excluded from one's humanity. In the history of silence, she writes, is central to women's history. And we even heard, and again I apologize, a scripture text which advocates for just that. A scripture text which attempts to silence women's voices, and we know through the history of the church that text, among others, has been horribly abused. Thankfully, we have a different picture in our gospel reading this morning, in the story that Jesus tells. He tells a parable about a woman, and not just any woman, a widow. In other words, one of the most vulnerable people in that society. And because they were in such a vulnerable position, they were often targets for exploitation. And so the widow in our story is in just such a situation. Her husband is dead, and she's apparently either attempting to claim her maintenance from his estate or to claim, uh, reclaim her ketuba, that is the amount of money her husband pledged in the event of her death. And if the amount is significant, scholars note she might have had a number of adversaries, right? People trying to get a piece of that pie. And without a man by her side to advocate for her in that society, her position is weakened significantly. Rebecca Solnit, again, in her book, uh, The Mother of All Questions, says violence against women is often against our voices and our stories. It is a refusal of our stories and of what a voice means, the right to self-determination, to participation, to consent or dissent, to live and participate, to interpret and narrate. And then she says, sometimes just being able to speak, to be heard, to be believed, are crucial parts of membership in a family, in a community, in a society. Well, thankfully, with the onset of the Me Too movement, women have more and more been empowered to come forth and tell their stories, to use their voices and to speak up on issues of sexual assault, abuse, manipulation, and rape. And some folks are like, wow, how come so many high-profile men are suddenly being accused? Well, not because they've suddenly started acting badly, right? Powerful men have behaved badly for a long time, but too often they've used that power to silence women's voices. Women have finally had enough and are finding their voices through media, literature, social media. In fact, the former head of the IMF, Frenchman Dominique Strauss-Kahn, was accused of terrible abuses of power and sexual assault against numerous women. And a former girlfriend wrote a book about her seven-month relationship with him, and his response was to try to get the book banned in France. Thankfully, he failed, right? But the fact that he even tried, even thought, this is what I can do because I'm a man and I have power, right? It shows how imbalanced the situation has been. 
For too long, men, particularly men, positions of privilege and power, have been able to act as they please and assume they can act with impunity. And if someone attempts something they don't like, they can make it go away. Solna goes on and says, silence is what allowed predators to rampage through the decades unchecked. It's as though the, the voices of these prominent public men devoured the voices of others into nothingness, a narrative cannibalism. They rendered them voiceless, and people died from being unheard. And that's why the story that Jesus tells is so powerful, right? Here we have a woman who refuses to be silent, right? Who uses her voice and speaks up every day. Listen again to the story that Jesus tells. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. Not a great guy. And in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. She refuses to be shut up. She refuses to cave to a society which has devalued her and is attempting to defraud her. She refuses to be one more silenced victim. And in fact, if we had a, an image of her, I believe we'd see her wearing a t-shirt that says, not today, Satan. <laughs> But this message that Jesus is trying to tell has often gotten lost. Why is that? It doesn't help that some folks like Paul weren't always paying attention. I think partly it's because the author of Luke's gospel tries to tell us, before we hear the parable, what the parable is about. Remember how it starts. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. And so he frames this as a parable about prayer. And here's why that might be a little bit problematic. Because it uses the judge as a stand-in for God. And so the message is, even if this horrific person in this position of power who doesn't fear God, respect people, care about the law, or what's right. If even this person, if you pester him enough, then finally he'll give in and grant you what you're asking for. So, God is just like that. <laughs> I mean, it's a horrible analogy, and it doesn't give you a lot of confidence in God, does it? It doesn't paint a very good picture at all of God. And here's the other reason this is problematic. Jesus is telling an empowering story about a woman, right? And at the same time, revealing a common societal injustice, vulnerable women being taken advantage of. And by spiritualizing the story and making it simply about prayer, Luke is doing the opposite of what Jesus is trying to do in the parable. That's right. yep. He's making her disappear and silencing her voice. Now, should we learn to pray and not give up? Of course, right? Of course. It's not a bad thing that he's saying. But we should also simply take this story at face value, right? And be inspired by this woman 
who said, not today, judge, you will grant me justice. I'm going to keep coming today and tomorrow and next week and every day for the rest of your tenure until you grant me justice. And she prevailed. Rebecca Solnit puts it this way about the recent expansion of women speaking up. If the right to speak, if having credibility, if being heard is a kind of wealth, that wealth is now being redistributed. And that is exactly what Jesus envisioned. A community where no one is silenced, where all voices are heard, and at the end of the day, justice is achieved. Amen. Maybe so. invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Mm-hmm.